0: Hey guys, welcome to Chef Grace's Place. (laughs) Today I have a very special guest, Marisa McClellan. She's the author of Food in Jars, which is my absolute favorite uh, canning and preserving book that I have. Thanks for so much for coming on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. My my book is, uh, the binding's actually really loose, so I gotta be careful (laughs) with it. That just is
1: a sign that it is well used and loved, which I love to see, so... Uh, You know, I have no
0: problem with that. So, I first saw Marisa in when I went to the restaurant school at Walnut Hill College. She came to my college and she did a demonstration on jam. I think you made a pear jam. Probably
1: that's that's my go-to for like fall winter stuff. And that was definitely it was cold out, so it must have been fall.
0: Yeah, and it was really good. And it was um, the first time that I really like can't got to learn anything about canning on the like science end and the um, my I'm Italian so not my family but I would get invited a lot to other people's families like yearly canning of the tomato sauce yeah which is always fun but I don't really remember them putting anything in there to increase the acid which blew my mind when I took the class. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you
1: find that a lot, actually, with people who have learned from like their grandmothers or have a really sort of old old school Italian tradition of canning that no one has really updated their knowledge or practice because they learned to do it, you know, from their grandmother or aunt or neighbor. And, you know, they just do it the way they were taught without any sort of um, investigation about, well, maybe tomatoes have changed or science has evolved. So yeah, I'm not surprised. So when did you start canning? So I grew up doing some canning. I, um, it's funny because my mom didn't grow up in fam- in a family that canned, but she was sort of a hippie. Um, my parents got married, um, in Northern California in 1970. So they were definitely like right there at the like the start of the hippie world thing. And so um, she learned to can in, you know, like Marin in California in like the early seventies. And so by the time I was born in 1979, she wasn't like super into it, but we always ended up living places with some fruit trees or like I grew up, I spent a lot of time in my childhood in Oregon and like blackberries grow everywhere there. And so um, we would always have all this fruit around. And so a couple of times a year, we would go pick blackberries or blueberries or apples and make some jam. And so I grew up around it and um, not like in a hardcore way, just in a sort of hobbyist way. And so I was always comfortable with it. And it was something I was interested in. And then you kind of fast forward a bunch of years. And um, there I was in Philadelphia um, in grad school. It was the summer of like, I want to say 2006 or seven. And I went blueberry picking in South Jersey with a friend and came home with 13 pounds of blueberries, which is a lot of blueberries. It doesn't look like that much when you're out in the field. And then suddenly you bring them home to your very small kitchen. And you're like, this is a lot of blueberries. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do with all these blueberries? I should make some jam. And so I called my mom for sort of the over the phone refresher course. I ran out to a hardware store and bought a few jars and made my first batch and really, really loved it. Like I loved the experience of making the jam. I loved the idea of having made something that would last for a while, as opposed to like a meal, you know, you get you know, a little bit of pleasure from a a meal that you cook, but when you make jam or you make pickles, you get sort of an extended period of pleasure because you, um, you make it and it's delightful. And then you get to open those jars, you share it with people. And so it just kind of continues the experience. And so I kept doing it. I was interested and you know, I kept buying fruit or going fruit picking and making more things. And then I started my food blog, which never i never intended it to become a career or a life path. It was really just something I was doing for fun, and it just kind of the the ball started rolling and it had the momentum has really taken me far.
0: What did you go to grad school for?
1: I went to grad grad school excuse me for um for writing, so um I was definitely you know, looking, I was looking for the thing that would be the thing I would write about. Um, I didn't at that point expect it was going to be canning, but, um, but, you know, you never know how life is going to work out. And that's, that's what happened for me. That's true. Actually,
0: uh, I did read that. I mean, I love your book because it's not just the recipes, but Mm -hmm. I do like, I always chill off into the little stories you have in here. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad. And, um, so that story about the uh, the little ceremony your parents did when you were little is actually <laughs> I, I remember getting the book and my friend, uh, my best friend from college, Jung. she's from Korea and she goes, oh, we do that with all the little babies. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting that uh, but also your parents being hippies in California you know, merging all the different cultures sounds uh, about right. (laughs) Yeah, they were
1: definitely sort of picking, you know, picking and choosing from a wide variety of cultures and traditions, which I think is what people were doing in the 70s in California.
0: So from, you know, this, I've had this book for almost 10 years now. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, it came out. Oh, my God, it's crazy. It came out in uh, May 2012. It's hard to believe that it's been. Out that long um you know and i have uh, i've done three more books since then but that's that one is the one that tends to be um the most beloved for people because it was for a lot of people out there it was the first book that they learned to can from which is you know very cool
0: the um i did go and i looked up your other books and i was wondering i see you go from you know, just food in jars to naturally sweet foods. So what inspired you to do that?
1: Well, uh, so the naturally sweet food in jars book um, was born out of you know, people really just asking me and asking me, can I make this jam with less sugar? Can I make it with alternative sweeteners? And so I had started to dabble with, you know canning and preserving with honey, um, looking at maple sugar, coconut sugar, And so that book was really me trying to answer a question that people were asking me, uh, which was, how can I do this and make it a little bit healthier um, or at least more sustainable for my diet? Because, you know, a lot of the traditional jams are like one part fruit and one part sugar. Now in, in the food and jars book, I typically did a ratio of like two parts fruit to one part sugar, which is still a lot of sugar yeah it's it so much less than traditional recipes oh. and so then you know as i was pulling back the sugar and trying to reduce it and um make things a little bit more sort of geared toward towards a modern diet that's where the naturally sweet book came from was me trying to respond to the questions that people were asking i also um sold the idea for that book At the moment when like paleo was like, like people are still doing the paleo diet, but it was at a moment when everybody seemed to be doing the paleo diet. And so like coconut sugar and maple were a little bit more um, acceptable. Yeah, Yeah. because they (laughs) they were acceptable on that paleo diet. And so I was trying to also, you know, capture that moment. Um, I don't know how well it worked. You know, there were. I don't think we marketed that book to the right audience necessarily, but what I, I, what I hear from, from a lot of people is that they find that book when they're looking for those, you know, that reduced sugar, those, um, not more natural sweeteners and, um, that it's, that it's good that it's out there because it does serve a certain population of people.
0: Yeah. I was actually. When I was researching jam, uh, I'm gonna teach jam class soon. You are! So oh, that's awesome. I'm uh, a little nervous about it, um, but I was researching how to, you know, get people with um, diabetes, you know, involved. Yeah. And another thing that came up was uh, no sugar added pectin, and something that or needed pectin, and it was kind of deceiving because they still had sugar in them. And although it's like way less sugar than, you know, he wouldn't have in the jam. Yeah. Um, but then I found a different one that it, instead of using sugar, it used calcium. Yeah.
1: That's a, that's Pomona's pectin. It's the, um, low methoxyl pectin. Um, and that's my favorite for alternative sweeteners and low or no sugar jam making. Because when you're working with the low sugar pectin, like the ball brand, low sugar pectin, you are still working with a pectin that is activated by sugar. And so you still need to have a certain quantity of sugar to create a set. Whereas the um, Pomona's pectin, it takes sugar out of the equation completely. And what's en- what ends up happening is that you have a sort of a chemical reaction between the calcium and the pectin, which causes a gel. And so those are really it's a really good product. The one thing I would warn you about as you move forward using it is that In the amounts that the rest, like the packet calls for, it can um, create a very firm set, like almost like a jello, gelatinized set. And so I find that um, when you're working with pomonas pectin or any low methoxyl pectin, um, you want to use less than their instructions call for if you want a slightly softer set. Um, And this is why, like if you buy um, like an all an all fruit spread at the grocery store Um, you know, like Palmer's is a really famous brand of like a fruit juice, sweetened fruit spread. And um, it is very firm. Like it is like, it can kind of almost crumble on your bread. And, um, and so like, if that's the texture you want, then you should use the full amount of Pomona's pectin. But if you want something that, you know, is a little softer, a little bit sort of, you know, If you want to dollop it or have it kind of have a, a body that's more, um, like would go better with cheeses and things like that. Then you want to back off on both the calcium, calcium water and the pectin powder to create a softer set.
0: Do you ever make your own pectin?
1: I have, but it's, it is such a pain. Um, because so pectin is, um, basically to make your own pectin, you either do, um, basically cook down a an unripe apple, like a lot of unripe apples or lemons. Like you can do, do it either way. And so um, you can either make like an apple stock, an unripe apple stock or, an un, or um, a lemon pectin, or basically like you're cooking lemons without any sugar and then taking the water, you boil it down and it becomes this kind of thickened pectin product. And it's the only time I ever sort of make my own pectin is when I'm making marmalade. I will sometimes make a little extra pectin liquid with, with additional lemons to boost a, um, a marmalade where I'm working with a lower pectin citrus. So like for instance, blood oranges or, um, caracara oranges are often hybrid fruit and, um, hybrid fruit don't have a lot of seeds. And so when you're making marmalade, one of the things you do is um, you harvest all the seeds, bundle them up in like cheesecloth or a muslin bag and add that to the pot as the fruit's cooking in order to increase the amount of pectin, which will then give you a good set. And, um, And you also, with marmalades, you typically add a full, like a full portion of sugar in order to have the sugar um, cook up to temperature to like 220 degrees Fahrenheit, which at that point thickens and it bonds with the pectin. So um, sometimes when I'm making marmalade, I will make my own extra like pectin boost if I'm working with one of those lower pectin fruits. But for the most part, I either um, use a store-bought pectin or I make small batches and rely on the reaction rely on the sugar cooking up to temperature reacting and bind, binding
0: with the pectin and the fruit to create the set so for all those sciencey people that listening that don't know what pectin is <laughs> we just went on a tangent about pectin uh mainly because i'm nervous about my class but <laughs> um, you'll be fine you'll be fine yeah. Pectin is a uh, starch and it is what makes jellies and jams thick. So, yeah,
1: it, it's essentially the fiber that holds up the cell walls of fruits and vegetables. So the way you can think about it is, or like the way you can assess whether, I mean, and I'm sorry if this is too much science, but no. I am, um, I spend most of my time with um, twin two and a half year olds. So getting to talk about this is very exciting for me again. <laughs> um, but So you can always assess a piece of fruit or, you know, a fruit variety and determine whether it's going to be something that is going to have a lot of natural pectin or a little bit of natural pectin by its structure. So if something is very soft, naturally, it's going to be lower in pectin. Whereas if it's very firm or hard, it's going to be higher in pectin. Um, Like what, think about like, if you, if you drop an apple, it's going to be fine. If you drop a peach, it's going to smash. It's you know unless it's a very underripe peach. And so like apples,
0: lots of pectin. Peaches, not so much. So this leads me to my next question, <laughs> which I can't wait to try this recipe. How did you come up with cantaloupe jam? You know, I
1: actually had heard of someone making cantaloupe jam. Um, it's a, traditionally an Italian approach because you know, the Italian, you, you Italians like your melons, you know, there's lots of good melons our in Italy. And,
0: our melon, huh?
1: yeah. <laughs> and um, so I had heard of, um, I had seen some Italian recipes for cantaloupe jam. And so I thought it sounded like a really appealing idea and I wanted to try it out and it works beautifully. I will say that I use more acid these days than, than is in the recipe in my food and jars book. I find that I like it with a little bit more Lemon, and I've also found that um, that perhaps a little extra lemon will make it a little bit safer since cantaloupes are sort of a mid-range acidic food. Um, so um, I use a little bit more lemon juice in that recipe than I used to, but it's so good. Like they do something really interesting in the, um, the canning pot when you combine cantaloupe with lemon and sugar, and then I use um, vanilla. So it turns into sort of like, a creamsicle almost. It's really, it's really delicious.
0: Yeah. I don't think I've ever like had cooked cantaloupe. You know what I mean? Like it must change yeah. the flavor a lot. Uh, it, it does. It is interesting. The, the lemon really shines
1: through in it. So it does like it picks up that citrusy note. Um, there are some lemons out there that are actually bred and designed for preserving, you know um, I can't remember the name of it, but um, a friend who lives out in the Lehigh Valley once grew some, um, I'm blanking on the name, but she grew some melon for me that is that was a variety that was bred for preserving. And it
0: was really interesting. It was good. That's really cool. Do you have a garden? Do you grow things to preserve that are weird? I don't. Um, I live in center city
1: in a high rise, okay. so it makes it hard. <laughs> Yeah. I, uh, I aspire to have a garden. I had a community garden for a couple of years, but, um, it's hard to garden when you're not gardening where you live. So it's just, I, I support all my great local farmers instead.
0: Yeah. And there's great CSAs in Philadelphia. Yeah. I used to, uh, have a CSA with Lansdale farms when I lived there mm-hmm. and, uh, they would drop off at Clark park every Saturday yeah. and it was amazing. I got, and I got to try so many things that I would never tried before, like garlic and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's Philly is a good produce hub. I feel really lucky.
0: Um, what was the most surprising thing that you've learned over the years about canning?
1: I think that the, the most surprising thing for me is how learning about canning it um, like for people who have never canned and come to it with a certain amount of fear or anxiety, um, learning about it and overcoming those fears really trickles into all aspects of life that, you know, when you, when you learn to can and you kind of treat yourself to an education in something that was previously unknown to you, that it really empowers you to, to do more than just canning. It's sort of that empowerment and that excitement about learning really seeps into all aspects of your life. You know, I often um, tell people that when they take a canning class with me, it's not just about learning to can, it's also about just generally releasing your fear. And so it's fun to me that it's not just like, oh, I'm going to learn to make jam and preserve it. It's really, I'm going to become a more empowered and fearless person by learning this skill.
0: Canning is scary, especially yeah. the um. Well, like when I make my jams and stuff, like I, I'm not canning them. I'm just putting them in the, in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. But to actually like do the whole canning process, where you have to boil the the cans and or the jars and, you know, sanitize everything can be intimidating because you're working with boiling water and glass. Like, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it's not
1: actually hard, but it it can be intimidating, and you've really got to like just get comfortable with the concept of putting jars in a big pot of boiling water but you know if you can make pasta you can can like it really really the you know
0: it's transferable transferable skills right there since you started since you made the first book and you made the your last book was in 2019 yeah so what has uh what is what have you Feel like you've progressed a lot on since then what has changed?
1: Um, well so i so the last book came out in 2019 and i am um, i was actually pregnant when i was promoting that book so i did a i traveled as much as i could and then it all kind of came to a hard stop um because i couldn't travel anymore um and then i had twins so i um I, like, it's funny cause I feel like all of my thirties were spent devoted to canning and preserving and writing these books. So, you know, I wrote four books in my thirties. I was 39 when the last one came out and then I turned 40 and had two kids. Um, which is not how people normally do this. Normally, they have the kids a little earlier, but yeah, you know, whatever. It's fine. It all worked out. Um, and so, the last couple of years have really, I feel like, been a process of almost relearning everything or relearning how to cook, figuring out where I exist in this world again. Um, you know, because between having, um, having twins and then, you know, they were eight, eight months old when the pandemic started. So, since the last book came out, I haven't really done much. I haven't produced much, but I've certainly spent, um, that's not, I haven't
0: produced much. I've done a lot. Um, I, that's probably, a better well, I'm sure people that. have, you know, the interest in preserving and can yeah. definitely got up since the pandemic, but yeah.
1: So I've certainly been there as a resource for people and have got and fielded a lot of questions, you know, as much as I could, um, You know, I've often thought that my, you know, if I hadn't had kids right before the pandemic, um, my pandemic would have been very different. I would have really pushed into online classes and, you know, doing a lot more teaching and I just didn't have the bandwidth for it. And so what I'm hoping to do, and it is funny, like, I do feel like I've kind of come back around. I have really adjusted my preserving um, approach. Like I, my, I approach preserving in a much different way because when, you know, when my husband and I didn't have kids and it was just the two of us, I was making like I was dabbling in very small batches making fancy things, um, you know, making preserves that required a lot of time and attention. And these days my, so my two, I have two and a half year old boys. They eat a lot and they eat a lot of yogurt with like jam stirred in. And so the jam I make these days is very different from the jam I made three years ago. I'm making like things that are pureed smooth, that are low in sugar. Um, and, you know, trying to make five pints at a time in order to just have enough, you know, cause the, between peanut butter sandwiches and yogurt, they can go through a pint of jam in like two weeks. And so, there's just the pace and the um, production for me has changed. And so it really has felt like coming, coming back to the beginning and relearning everything. And that's actually what I'm hoping to do. Um, again is um, because food and jars is 10 years old and I've learned a lot since I wrote that book, I really would like to come back to that book and do a new edition, um, fix some things, you know, tweak some recipes that where I've learned how to make it better or easier. Um, some of the yields aren't quite right in that book. Um, so fix some errors, tweak some recipes, remove the liquid pectin because it's become much harder to access these days than it used to be um, and add a chapter on low sugar canning. That's kind of my vision for what I'd like to do. And so it really is kind of coming full circle and back to um,
0: back to that beginning. That, that sounds awesome. I'll <laughs> get the updated one by the time yeah. it comes out. The uh, the binding is gonna fall off of this
1: one. Anyway. Exactly. So then you'd be ready for a new edition, but all I also cleaned up.
0: Love that you have the corrections on your website. Um, I did. I wrote a book and I self published it, and there are a lot of errors in that. <laughs>
1: You know, Um, it's hard,
0: it is hard to get
1: it. You know, I know it sounds crazy. It's hard to get everything right, but it's hard to get everything right. And so many of the errors in that book were introduced in the copy editing. Like there was, you know, an, a select all like a, Um, someone selected all and fixed a bunch of things that didn't need to be fixed. And I didn't know because it was my first book in the editing process. I didn't know to be looking to make sure that the yields were matching in two different places because they had been right when I put them in. And then they were, there was a copy editing error that introduced a bunch of errors. And I just didn't know because I, I had never written a book before that I needed to be looking at that when I did my my final pass. So I've, I have learned a lot. It's hard.
0: But good for you for doing a, your own book. That's awesome. Yeah, my because I don't, I mean, I didn't have a publishing deal or anything. So it was, um, they're mostly like, I, I did the whole book on like InDesign. So it was mostly mm-hmm. like, because I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> and like, or like, you know, like, I think there's like a word in there where there's like a space in between the letters, and it shouldn't be there because it just, you know, <laughs> like dumb shit. Or they're gonna be like, "Who who wrote this?" <laughs> it happens. It happens. It happens. It's okay. <laughs> but um yeah, <laughs> uh, one of the things that also blew my mind, was that ketchup isn't necessarily tomato.
1: Yeah, and it's true.
0: I would, where did you learn about that? Uh,
1: so I have just done, I have read nearly every book there is mm-hmm. to read on canning and preserving. I've done a lot of research. I've looked at old, old cookbooks. And so um, I have a the New York times regional cookbook from, I think it came out in the sixties and that was the first place where I was like, Oh, because there were a bunch of different recipes, regional recipes for different kinds of ketchup. There was a grape ketchup. I think um, there was perhaps a cranberry ketchup. And then when I started reading about it, I realized, you know, like um, banana ketchup is very popular. I believe in the Philippines, mushroom ketchup was the original, um, I hope it's the Philippines. I, am not remembering correctly, but it, it, there banana ketchup is a thing. Um, you know, the original ketchup. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, ketchup, I mean, basically ketchup is, um, a highly spiced, not super sweet fruit butter when you think about it. And so once you realize that just about any kind of fruit can be a vehicle for those spices, that ketchup flavor profile, um, you know, you, the world is sort of open. Um, it's for just for some reason that tomatoes became the primary. I I think that, you know, Heinz, they, they made tomato ketchup popular, but before they store started, um, industrializing it, you know, you made ketchup with whatever fruit you had in abundance. And to be honest, so many other things make better ketchup because tomatoes are so watery that you have to cook them down so much to get a good, um, thickness on your ketchup. Whereas I've my favorite alternative ketchup is a beet ketchup, which sounds kind of crazy, but it's really good. And because beets don't have a whole lot of water, they don't have to cook down as long. So it's not nearly as um, cumbersome. You get a higher yield. Um, You don't have have to use as much sugar because beets are sweeter than tomatoes. And um, they really lend themselves to those flavors really nicely. And you just get a little bit of welcome earthiness from it. And so I, you know, I I have a recipe for beet ketchup in that natural sweet book and it is, it is a sleeper hit people. Anytime they make it, they're like, wow, you know, that's crazy. And so good.
0: I'm going to have to write that down (laughs) (laughs) because yeah, I'm trying to grow some beets right now. And some, uh, I'm also trying to grow a wasabi radish. Whoa. So that it's supposed to be like pretty big, but that as a ketchup might be pretty cool. Oh, I bet that'd be awesome. Rashes are, they actually have a lot of water in them. So I don't know. Mm, yeah, they do. But I mean, you know, you can try it. Yeah. I mean, if it no, no, doesn't no. work out, I'll just throw it in with the pulled pork. That's usually what I do.
1: <laughs> that is an excellent technique for, you know, lots of different preserves. If they don't work, you know, brace some meat in it. It's always good.
0: Yep. So you have so many stories in here from your life about that inspired you about, you know, all this food in here. Yeah. (laughs) What can you tell us one of your favorite stories? Oh, gosh. Um, one that
1: leaps to mind from that book is actually not about a jam or a preserve, but it's about, um, the recipe for gorp, which is you know good old raisins and peanuts, it's a super hippie granola recipe essentially, um, and the recipe I use for it came from my mom's friend Melinda, who, you know, was a, a giant hippie in the early seventies, and for a while she had a business making this this granola, and she would make it around and sell it around um, San Francisco, and um, she would do all of her deliveries in a Volkswagen bug in a beetle. And um, one day she had just gone to, you know, the wholesaler to pick up the oats and raisins and peanuts and oil and sugar and all the things she needed. And she was rear-ended and, um, or I guess she was like crumpled. She was in a, she was in a car accident because in those cars, the, uh, the trunk was in the front. So wherever she was, it got crunched and it was just, an explosion of oats in this car accident. And so she just got, um, you know, the whole road was covered in granola material, but um, the recipe lives on and I still make it and my sister still makes it. And it's a really, it's sort of the formula on which I base all of my granola
0: recipes and I love it to this day. It's good stuff. There's a, that's something that's cool because as you pass down these recipes to your kids, you get to tell them all the stories. Yeah. Go along with them. Yeah, totally. Uh, that's one, one thing I love about cooking that I don't think a lot of people uh, they don't think about it while they're doing it, you know? Yeah. I see. Yeah, I've
1: always loved the stories around food and the, the stories from, you know, family. I, I, even when I was a kid, I was always the kid who was asking my mom to tell me stories about when she was a kid, and I wanted to know about you know, her her great aunt who made um, really good uh matzo ball soup and things like that. So I was always, I've always been the one who was interested in in the stories, and if they were about food, it was all the better for me.
0: I did. I did recently read about um, conserve, and my. What is the difference between conserve and preserve?
1: Oh, okay. Um, so a conserve is traditionally, typically a fruit preserve that also includes either dried fruit or nuts. Um, so, you know, if you've, I, I, t- I tend to think of, you know, if, uh, if preserves are running along a spectrum, you know, you've got, you go, you start with like a jelly, you know, which is just fruit juice and sugar and pectin. And then you go jam, which is whole fruit, sugar, and pectin. And then a preserve is often like a chunkier fruit and sugar combination doesn't necessarily have to have um, additional pectin and is often a little bit looser. So jelly jam preserve. And then I um, can conserve is one that has fruit, dried fruit or nuts in it. A compote is typically even chunkier than a preserve. And then the fruit butter is a pureed fruit um, that's been cooked down and cooked down and cooked down. So, um, and then, then you, and then you, from there, you kind of um, tiptoe into chutneys, which are the sweet and savory combination of fruit and onion and vinegar and sugar and spices. Um, and so like that, to me, that's sort of the, the spectrum of um, sweet and savory fruit preserves.
0: Yeah. I feel like chutney is kind of like, you almost dabble, you almost want to like, it's like you wanted to make a pickle, but then you're like, nah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that chutney, I think of chutney is like the dividing line between a sweet p- fruit preserve and a pickle. It's like, it's riding the line. And then from there you cross over and it's, you're in pickle territory. Yep.
0: And I love how you have a uh, butter and like it's not just jam. I know I'm talking a lot about jam for my listeners because I'm nervous about my jam class, but <laughs> there's so much more you have to offer than just jam in here. Like, I really uh, try. It's really a great book. Thanks. I'm excited for the updated version.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would say look for, you know, if all goes well, look for it in uh 2024. It takes a while, these
0: things. One of your books actually came out on my birthday. Did it really? Of the, uh, Preserving by the Pine. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So is that, anything? was that one like
1: April 2nd? Is your birthday April 2nd?
0: No, uh, it's March
1: 25th. Oh, March 25th. Okay. It's hard to remember exactly when the books came out at this point, but I, that is one of the dates that I remember. So, yep. That's cool.
0: Yep. Actually, I'm a twin, so it's me and my brother. Oh, there you go. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, you know it well. So my advice to you is start saving up. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's still <so> fun. <laughs>
1: kids are kids. Kid they they're expensive no matter how you slice it. Yep. <laughs> food and jars, the first book came out first. And then between the naturally sweet book and that one, there was um, preserving by the pint, which is a great book. If you're looking to just figure out canning and figure out what you like, because it's super small batches. So if you've never done it before and you're trying to figure out like, am I a jam person? Am I a chutney person? The recipes in that that book um, are good for people who are trying to figure that out because they all yield no more than like three half pints so if you d- think maybe i am a chutney person and then you make a little batch of chutney and you decide you know what i am not a chutney person you haven't made such a big commitment to chutney that um you feel bad about it so you know three three half pints three cups It's, it's all going to be okay if you decide you don't like it. So that's a good one for people who are just looking to find themselves as canners and preservers.
0: And if they don't want to actually can it, it's enough where they can just leave it in the refrigerator.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So you can make the thing without having to commit to the canning process, which I think is a useful thing. Um, So that book is, it's just handy for that. It's also organized by season. So you can drop in wherever you are in the year and find a recipe, you know? So it's not like you have to commit yourself to doing it in the summer. There's good stuff for this time of year as well as the summer. So um, if if I could redo or do a second, like part two of any book that I've written, I would love to do a part two of that book because I had so much fun writing it. And I really feel like, it meets a need because there just aren't that many tiny batch canning books out there. And it's fun to just be quick and dirty with a canning recipe. You don't have to have, spend a ton of time doing it. Everything in that book only requires like an hour of hands on time. So it's pretty um, accessible.
0: What are some, uh, you mentioned, you know, your sons are going through things, but living in a, like going through food, I mean, but yeah, uh, <laughs> You know, living in a apartment in Center City, like you don't really have a lot of space to store cans.
1: no, I mean, I devote a far too much of our available storage space to jars, but that's my own insanity <laughs> um, yeah, i that book, yeah, that book is really designed for people like me who live in apartments who don't have i mean my kitchen is only eighty square feet. it is not big, um but you I
0: make it work for me, and so you can too, which is nice. So what do you, do you have like a necessities that you have to have in the apartment in Cairns? Um, There are definitely
1: things that I make every year that I feel like if I don't have some of, I feel slightly off kilter. Um, I always make um, tomato jam, which is, that's a recipe in your book. And it's one of my favorites. It's sort of like ketchup, but it can do things and go places that I wouldn't take ketchup. So like, it's really great um, as a glaze for like a roasted chicken. Um, It's a good on a sandwich. It's great with cheese. You wouldn't necessarily use ketchup in those places, but it also is really delicious if you want to just dunk a French fry in it. It's it's good stuff. Um, And then, so I always have that around. Um, I always have some sort of, apricot or sour cherry jam, because those are my two favorites. So, um, I'm starting to run low currently, but I have some frozen sour cherries that are destined to become, um, jam very soon. So I, uh, I won't, I won't have, you know, I won't go dry. I will have, I'll be able to make more before they come into season again. So I always have those things. Um, these days I almost always have a pear vanilla because that's a really good one for little boys. And, um, and pears are easy to get almost any time of year. So I can always make a batch of that. And then on the the kind of savory side, I always try to have some tomato sauce, some whole peeled tomatoes that I've canned if possible, because um, they're just so much better than the grocery store canned ones. If you can can your own tomatoes when they're in season, the flavor is amazing. And um,
0: oh, don't look over here.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, hey, I have also got canned tomatoes. I use, you know, grocery store canned tomatoes. I couldn't make it happen this year to canned tomatoes. So I am running on the dregs of my um, 2018 and 2019 tomatoes 2020, but I didn't do any in 2021. So like, you know, it's fine, but if you can do it, it's they're better, but there's nothing wrong with, um, store-bought canned tomatoes. They're, they're fine. Um, but I, I try to have that around and then, um, salsa. I love having, um, homemade salsa because I use it in like, you know, just tonight I made like a bean and rice and corn casserole. And, I use a jar of homemade salsa in that as like the tomato bind it all together thing. And it's, it just adds so much flavor and it's just better. But again, I'd use store-bought salsa if I didn't have homemade, but I, you know, I also, I appreciate that when I make it myself, I, it produces less waste. Like I'm not, I'm going to reuse the jar. I don't have a jar that has to go in the recycling. Um, The the stuff I have to throw away is less when I make it myself.
0: And there's no weird shit in there
1: yeah yeah also true (laughs)
0: true yeah
1: so those are kind of my i've always got to have around things what
0: the other book food and jars in the kitchen
1: yeah the last book the food and jars in the kitchen so that book again it was sort of me um closing the loop so i you know i taught you how to can i taught you all how to can all these different ways and then um people would say but what do i do with this and so that was me answering the question here's what you do with it once you've made it, like all the different things, here's what you do with it. Um, And so, and what's nice about that book too, is you don't even have to be a canner to use it. It's just a cookbook. It just happens to use different like salsas and jams and pickles and things like that. If you don't have the homemade versions you store bought, but I really like it as a book because it is just, it's not fancy food. It's really accessible. Again, there's lots of stories, all of the stuff in that book are things that I I make, like it's nothing is in that book. Like, oh, you know, I had to make up something for to fill this, this void in the book. They're all recipes where I have made them. I was looking for ways to use up my own homemade pantry and this is how I did it. And maybe this is how you can do it too. And so-
0: yeah. And also like if you, you know, it's rough right now for everybody. And if you are looking to kind of like save money and on food, canned foods are cheaper. Yeah. Um, and you can, you'll still get nutritional value. You want to watch your salt intake, obviously if you go going store bought and stuff, but yeah. a great and that and frozen are a great option for um, your budget. So this, you know, this, uh, cookbook could definitely help a ton of people in that regard too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So you also do, um, Facebook lives. I saw on.
1: I, I had been doing them for a while. Um, I didn't do in December or January, but I'm going to try to pick them up back up in February. It's hard to rally to find the energy to do it at like nine o'clock at night. But, um, They are fun and it's been a great way to connect with people. And so I'm really working hard on bringing those back because they, they give, even though it takes a lot of energy to do them, they give me a lot of energy because it gives me an opportunity to connect with people. And, you know, in this pandemic time, anytime we can find ways to connect with people is, is good.
0: And you have a ton of resources on (laughs) foodandjars.com.
1: Yes, yeah. I've, I've been writing that site since 2009, so there's a
0: lot there since I graduated high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So, ton of yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah,
0: a great website, a great resource. Well, thanks. And if people want to get in contact with you, that is a good place to do it as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a contact form. My email is there, so they can find me that way.
0: All right. And also we'll just put all your links in the description. So it's easy for everybody. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it was my pleasure.
1: Thanks for having me. This was fun. I really, I don't get to talk um, about canning much these days. So it's always nice. You can tell I was very excited. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: excited that you're
0: excited. <laughs> Cause yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's crazy doing this podcast and getting to meet people that, Like I've read all the, like, I've, you know, been a fan of And then I get to come and talk to you. Like, it's so cool. (laughs) It's
1: awesome. It is awesome. Well, I'm honored to have been on. So thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for coming. My pleasure. All All right. Thanks.